Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. Hello, it's Peter Oborn here on the most beautiful day in Wiltshire. Gentle breeze, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, cricket is about to begin. Uh, hello from me, Richard Heller, in very similar conditions in um, southeast London. The birds are singing and uh, my cat is eyeing them enviously from the, the window because he can't get at them. Now we have the most amazing guest today. A new one for us is a musician. Well, our guest this morning is um, quite simply the best known musician in the whole world of cricket. He's the first trumpet Though I have to say also he's the last trumpet of the Barmy Army. And it's great joy to welcome Billy Cooper to the podcast. Many of us, or everybody who, who's heard Test Match Special or follows cricket, will have heard his, his trumpet playing, sometimes without knowing it was him. So welcome, Billy. Thank you. Good morning. It's, it's nice and sunny here in Kent as well, I'm pleased to say. Oh, which part of Kent? I'm in a little village called Kemsing, sort of near Sevenoaks. So. Oh, OK. Do they have a cricket team? We do, and um, actually since lockdown I've become involved with the cricket team because I'm not working so much, so they they let me play on a Sunday for them, and uh, actually my little daughter now goes down on a Sunday morning for the All-Stars. She's only five, so yes. That's that's wonderful. What what do you, I was going to move into that, but have you always been a cricket player and a, and a cricket lover? Um, I've always been a cricket lover. I used to play a little bit when I was young at primary school. Actually, we had a, a friend who we used to take home from school every day and his dad would come around and pick him up two hours later. And he was a cricket nut, so we used to play in the garden every day. And then my father used to always watch cricket on the TV. He used to umpire a bit when he was at university. So, so no, I, I loved and I played a bit for my primary school. But unfortunately, when I went to secondary school, as a musician, every night after school there was orchestra or band or choir and that tended to get in the way of sport. So I didn't. I can't really say I did any sport at all at secondary school. And um, so, then, but then I, I started playing cricket again in my thirties. Um, a friend of mine, Roger McCann, uh, is a double bass player, runs a team, a mixture of musicians and other oddballs. <laughs> um, named the, the players named after the Players Bar in Charing Cross, which used to be a, a late night drinking den for musicians. <laughs> And so, yeah, I, I play for the players. We play about eight Sundays a summer, just a, against other sort of oddball Sunday teams, just friendlies. Who are the ones? Uh, you, who do you play against, for instance? Um, we play two two games a year against the Salmagundi Gardeners, who play on Hampstead Heath. Uh, they're originally from Covent Garden, um, and then we play we play a game at Cranley against the staff team there. Um, we, we now play a game at Kemsing against the Kemsing team, which I've organised. And it's a few other teams that we've been f- become friends with over the years. So, yeah, it's, I say, a real mixed bag. I def- definitely drag the standard down, but um, as we have the odd sort of superstar player who comes and plays, and yeah, you never really know what you're going to get, but it's proper Sunday cricket, I'd say. Mm. Do any of you, do you, perhaps yourself, do you have to protect your hands in any way? Like, um, as we saw in the obituary of Julian Bream, who was a great cricket lover great guitarist in Wisdom this year, was allowed to field in batting clubs um, for good reasons. But uh, does anybody else have any special needs like that? Not that I play with, but I think there's a few friends of mine who are keyboard players or pianists who just basically cannot play cricket because, I say, if they get get a broken finger, they could be 
that could be career over for them and never quite back, get back to the same standards. So for me, I'm always just most worried about my teeth because if I if I got a ball in the teeth, mm. that, that could mean I, I could probably struggle to play the trumpet ever again. So having previously batted in a cap, I've had a couple of people have a quiet word and say, look, no offence, but when you go to hit that ball, you've got no idea where it's going and it could top edge in, into your mouth. So no, I, I do wear a helmet now just in case. Yeah, Tell us how you got into the uh, Barmy Army as the Barmy Army trumpeter? Um, so I'd, I'd always enjoyed watching cricket on TV and then I remember going to watch um, Lashings were playing down in Bromley near where I lived back in 2003 and we went down to watch that and saw a few superstars there. Um, I think Tuffers was playing Richie Richardson and they were giving out flyers for the Caribbean series the, the year after. And so I managed to talk a couple of friends into it and we decided to go. So we went to Barbados and Antigua we booked it all ourselves, which you could do pretty cheap back then. So we did the, the it was a third and fourth test, no, fourth and fifth tests of that series. Uh, last two tests anyway, was it a four or five tests? It doesn't matter. But So we went to Barbados, fabulous test match. It was the one where Graham Thorpe got a century, Matthew Hoggard got a hat-trick. The whole thing only lasted three days. But um, because we were away for three weeks, I took a trumpet with me to practice because I had gigs when I came home and I couldn't not play the trumpet for three weeks to keep my lips in so anyway the, the idea of practicing the trumpet when you get out to the caribbean quickly goes out of a window with the beautiful scenery the beach and the rum and whatnot so um that trumpet ended up getting lost in a taxi um and i thought i'd never see it again um it, i went as far as getting a report from the barbados police for the insurance um, it was stolen and then two weeks later we're in antigua for that final test match, the one where Brian Lara got his four hundred, oh, and uh, which was a, it was a, it was a good watch, but it was, a, it was a, at times a tough watch as an England fan, especially as I think one of our bowlers had broken down. I remember uh, Treskoff again ended up bowling about seventeen overs, and yeah, it was a, but it was a great to be there. But anyway, day four of the game, I could hear this noise the other side of the ground. I said to my friend, "I'm sure it's a trumpet." We had a look through the binoculars. Sure enough, it was my trumpet. Because <laughs> I could, I could oh. tell because it was a, it was a slightly novelty blue one that I'd bought, um, so I thought there can't be two blue trumpets in the Caribbean. <laughs> so I went storming over to the other side of the ground. It was all in with the Barmy Army hardcore. I said, "That's my trumpet. Can I have it back, please?" Um, <laughs> they said, "Well, play us a tune to prove it's yours." So I did. I, I think I played the Great Escape, which is why I often used to start with that uh, later on. And everyone said, "Well, that's yeah, that's good." I said, "Well, thank you. I am a trumpet. That's what I do for a living." So, and the crowd get got going let's have another one you know it turned into a bit of an impromptu sing song for about half an hour and then so they were all very nice and then Paul Burnham who founded the Barmy Army and ran it back then came over to me and said that's fabulous you know could you come again tomorrow for the last day and have a sing song I said well you know I haven't actually got a ticket for tomorrow he said well here you go here's a here's a ticket I can sort that out for you fine (laughs) yeah no problem so went back to the fifth day did the same thing had a sing song after tea um, the game, sort of, uh, England held out for a draw. And, uh, yeah, another sing-song. It was all good fun. And Paul came up to me at the end of that game and said, right, brilliant, do you fancy coming to South Africa this winter for the cricket? I said, well, of course. He said, right, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll pay for your flights and uh, put you up. I, th- I thought, hang on, that sounds all right to me. So uh, <laughs> um, I, th- I wasn't sure whether to believe him or not. Um, but uh, I met up with him that summer and he was good, good for his word, so... Um, that winter I went out to, I just did the two tests actually, I did the Durban Boxing Day test and then the Cape Town test 
uh, f- fabulous. I mean, it was a great time to get involved as an England fan because it was coming into a bit of a glorious period for us, obviously, with the 2005 Ashes for next summer. Mm. So, um, but and I, and I couldn't really believe my luck to sort of be involved with it all. At, yeah, such an exciting time. You were involved in that 2005 Ashes series, weren't you? And especially, I think, in the in the all-night celebrations in Trafalgar Square. I mean, it was just being like being pl- playing through that summer. Um, obviously, I, I didn't play at Lords at the first test, but yeah, I was I was there at the rest of them, and uh, yeah, c- couldn't believe. Well, what England? I, I, I genuinely, I was born in nineteen seventy nine, so I just, I don't remember England ever really beating Australia. You have to remember, because yeah. um, yeah. so it was, it was a real dream to for that to happen. Um, so yes, we celebrated hard. I obviously the players went out that night, but in the next day, at Trafalgar Square, there was obviously I don't know how many people there. They say a hundred thousand or whatever, but. In fairness to Michael Vaughan had insisted they kept a bit of the front for the Barmy Army, so we were there right at the front. And then during their sort of live presentation, I was going out and telling you they called me and Vic, who was our sort of cheerleader, up onto the stage with the England team. And I was I was crouched down behind Marcus Treskovic and uh, and I said to him, I shouldn't really be. He said, No, no, you're fine. Just 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 stay there. We'll have a sing song in a minute. And <laughs> I remember Michael Vaughan gave up his seat and sat on the floor. And made Vic sit in his chair, oh. the captain's chair, which was a real sort of symbolic thing to do to say thank you to the fans. It was a lovely moment, and mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, we had a after they'd finished the presentation, we had a big sing song. Um, the play a lot of the English team obviously were slightly worse for wear, um, <laughs> but just being up there it was a real yeah real magic moment. Um, and actually, my, my trumpet with me, I had with me then was my best trumpet, which I played professionally and, and through music college, and I remember. There's some of the uh, the sponsors girls were getting their cards signed by the England team, and I thought, oh, I should get something signed. So I got I got them to sign my trumpet. Um, so I've got that trumpet I played at that Ashes signed by the whole England team. There was a couple I missed that day that I got, got later on. So I don't really know what to do. I should have it in a case really somewhere as it is. It's just in <laughs> in a box down there. But that's that's my memento from that magic day. Fantastic. And you're but you're you're using another trumpet now professionally, I assume. Yes. Was that just yeah? That's, yeah, I've got I've, that one's a collector's item. Mm. Exactly, and there's um, to be honest, that's one thing with playing the trumpet because trumpet obviously brass is quite a soft metal. I found I was getting through trumpets a lot quicker than most other trumpet players because you take them on tour at cricket and you're trying to play, and then all of a sudden everyone jumps up when there's a wicket, and you have to be really careful again not to get your teeth knocked out. But my trumpets were getting a lot more bashed around than most people. Mm. So no, I've been I've been through a couple more since then. How much does a trumpet cost? Um, one that you would use professionally these days are probably about two thousand between two and three thousand. So, in fairness, compared to a you know a violinist or actually most other orchestral instruments, that's pretty cheap. And you can you can you can you know you can afford to get get a new one maybe every ten years or five years. It's still quite a bit. It's more even than a top grade cricket bat these days, which you pretty well, much have to take out a second mortgage. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Billy, the Barmy Army is now a sort of structured organisation, isn't it? It's a it's a travel company. Um, it seems a bit paradoxical. You know, what are you? I'm the chief executive of the Barmy Army, or I'm the company secretary of the Barmy Army. But when you joined up with them, was it a sort of was it a formal organisation, or was it just a kind of loose knit group of people who liked following cricket and celebrating? 
I mean, it's it's certainly a, an awful lot more organised now than it ever was. Um, when when the Barmy Army founded back in Australia in the in the nineties, oh, it was before my time. I think Paul Burnham quickly trademarked the name. They, they made a load of T-shirts and realised that's something he should do. So so from then on, it was basically yeah. Paul was Paul's a Paul's a great ideas man and a, a, someone I like a lot, but it's not necessarily the most organised bloke. So Paul Paul kind of ran it on his own with a few people for years. Another of the founders, Dave Peacock, still is involved for Australian tests. But uh, yeah, it's compared to what it is now, it's I say it's it's, it's a very slick. Very media savvy organisation, whereas mm. back then it was, it was, you know, it was a, maybe a bit more ragtag, a bit more fun. So uh, I, I used to enjoy, you know, some of the chaos, some of the funny situations <laughs> we'd end up in. But uh, yeah, I think like all these things, it, it has it probably has to change. I think what changed the Australians had a, they've got a similar thing called the Fanatics, who follow cricket, but not just cricket. They actually do tennis. They do a few other sports. But um, the guy Wazza, who founded that, we were. We play cricket against the Fanatics every time we're in Australia. Um, we have a sort of five test series at, uh, the day before the real test match. And he, uh, I think, was a, having set up that company about 10 years later, we were over there and he said, oh, How's it going? How's it going running? The... He said, Oh, no, I sold it now. I sold it for a big seven figure sum. <laughs> and I think that probably made Paul think, Right, actually, I should probably be running this a bit more, a bit more wow. properly, seeing what the Australians can do with it. Mm, that's impressive. What kind of funny situations did you get involved in before before the the, the structure came in? <laughs> Actually, the, the, the tour after that two thousand and five Ashes tour, um, after the two thousand and five Ashes summer, I remember the next Test match tour actually was in Pakistan, which is quite a contrast. And we went to, so one of the lads had organised a little tour first to Bahrain to play some cricket there against the Bahrain Camels. And then we ended up at a, also there was a big. Uh, it wasn't a Grand Prix, but it was a. It was at the Grand Prix circuit and the sort of next next thing down from a Grand Prix. And it's it just, yeah, very bizarre experiences playing cricket. And then we played a, a six six aside tournament on the, a pitch that should never have had cricket played on it. I've never seen such a a dodgy, bumpy field. Um, and people like me had barely played cricket at the time. And then ending up in in Pakistan. As you'd expect, one of the guys assaulted out the hotel. I've never an absolute. I don't think it had. It didn't have warm water or lighting, so uh, you'd have to have a torch to get round at night. Um, but that Pakistan trip was a real funny one actually, because we'd all we'd all um, primed ourselves for a no alcohol tour. Obviously, Pakistan's a dry country, um, and there was talk of getting these certificates where you could say you're a, you could get a certificate from the doctor to say you're an alcoholic, so you're allowed <laughs> to buy. As it was. In Lahore, round about a 10-minute walk from the ground, there was a place called the International Club where there was a mini border control. You had to show your passport to get in and only foreign nationals were allowed in. And then you walk in and it's just like being in a sort of rugby club over here or something. It's just a big bar with TVs and it's, it's very, absolutely bizarre. So what this meant, though, is that this was a place that we'd end up going to every night. We'd go to the cricket and maybe go to, to find a local some local food. And I have to say, the food there was absolutely fabulous. Oh, oh, um, beyond belief, yeah. But then we'd all end up in this bar. In, in, and it was because it's the only place you could have a drink, the umpires would be drinking in there, all the commentators would be drinking there, and then all the England team would be drinking in there. So at, my, at the time, it was the height of my sporting prowess. So it was a, me and my friend Paul Winslow beat Jimmy Anderson and Matthew Hoggard at pool for, for cash. 
Um, so <laughs> bear in mind how bad I am at sport. I think it probably shows that they've taken a few drinks that night. I should I say it was, that was after the test match, I should say, rather than during. Yeah. Jimmy Anderson would probably swing the ball too much to play pool successfully. <laughs> I think I'm right in saying that was the last time the England cricket team has ever gone to Pakistan, isn't it? The 2006. And yes. um, it's where Flintoff hit hit the biggest six ever known in the uh, the Hojim Khanna ground. Did you w- witness it when he hit it right out of the ground and onto the road? Do you mean the Jim Khanna ground or the Gaddafi? No, no, the Jim Khanna ground. Were they playing the Chicago? Okay. No, no, it wasn't a te- it was a it was a warm up match. Warm up. Oh, okay. Pardon me. And yeah. uh Flintoff yeah. hit an absolutely soaring six, which they all said this it's still talked of to this day as the biggest hit out of that ground. You don't remember it. it, it I, 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 I wasn't there for that, unfortunately. I was just there for the test match at the Gaddafi. Yeah. It's a fair dist- it's a fair distance the ro- to the road from that ground, as we know. <laughs> Certainly one I never made. <laughs> no, no. I just I just remember the speed that um Shoaib was coming in at that tour. Oh god. Shoaib that time. Yeah, it was it just yeah, that was scary and you know, he really blew England away because I I guess we were always gonna be after the highs of the ashes, we were ready for a fall, but that was yeah, that was we couldn't cope with him out there. Did you um, go out to the UAE when England had to play Pakistan out there? When after the you know when Pakistan were in international exile, because it was obviously a completely different atmosphere at those big empty stadiums at the um, in the Emirates, wasn't there? Mm. Yes, I went on the next tour to because I did. I think it was a test in Dubai, then Abu Dhabi, and then another one in Dubai, and. uh, yeah, it was. I really didn't didn't enjoy that ground in Dubai at all. You know, it's just a soulless sports stadium bowl with about two hundred people in it, um, and it's it's not because it, it's right on the outskirts of town as well. There's, there's no there's no no one coming in apart from us. Yeah, it was, that was pretty miserable. And then of course the cricket was England couldn't cope at all with a spin over there, and uh, couldn't we couldn't get through them. And it was I enjoyed Abu Dhabi more because it was. Much more yeah. open, and again, actually, on that, but you would get a bit of passing, and so you get the local Pakistani taxi drivers coming after their day's work. So later on, it would fill up, and you'd get a little bit of atmosphere. So that felt a bit, a bit better. But no, it's actually one of my least favourite places to go to watch cricket, Dubai. So it's sad. Yeah, it's rather sad because the, even without your help, the Barmy Army generally made more noise than the. The, the home side supporters, what was supposed to be the home side supporters. Is, yeah, um, which great. is a shame. It's a, it's, I've never actually liked it when you go... I mean, we've had it a couple of times actually since in the Caribbean, you turn up in Barbados and it's like 80% English. And it just it feels a bit weird, actually. Um, you, whilst you want, a, you want a large vocal English touring support, it's, it's, it feels a bit odd if we're dominating. You actually want to be mixing, especially the Caribbean. It's, I love mixing with the locals in the Caribbean. They love their cricket, and of course, they're extremely, you know, it's, it's, it, when it's going well, they, they're, you know, giving us jip and shouting away. But as soon as things start going badly for them, it all of a sudden turns on. Ah, oh, you know, if you're in Barbados, oh, it's because of that bloke from Antigua. There shouldn't be, there should be more Bayesians in the team. And and then say when you go to the next island, they're complaining about all the people from. The, it's quite funny all the inter-island politics over there, but they're all very, uh, very vocal and very passionate and, and good fun. What's your favourite ground to visit and to play the trumpet at? Um, I do love 
going to New Zealand because they, I think they get it over there. They send us to some lovely smaller grounds for the test matches, like the Hagley Oval in Christchurch was lovely. Um, only a couple of years ago in Mount Monganui, the, the University Oval down at Dunedin was great, although one of the coldest I've ever been in a cricket mm. ground, I must say. Um, and then the, the Basin Reserve in Wellington is always, it's always a good test match there. So I like those. I mean, having said that, in in I think Eden Park in Auckland's one of my least favourite grounds. It's not a cricket stadium at all, really. It's not even. It's not the pitch is even the right shape. But yeah. So apart from that, I mean, Newlands obviously is iconic ground in oh, South yeah. Africa. Um, I like the Wanderers as well. You, you always get a good Test match at the Wanderers. I think probably because of the, the pitches and the altitude. And then uh, yeah, it's a sh- it's a shame in the Caribbean because when I first went in two thousand four five, it was the grounds were a lot more as they'd always been and you'd sort of see these there's a you know in the side of one of the stands there'd be a little window and this lady been that's where she's been selling her her food for years her chicken wings for years or whatever you know or a rice and pea and then it'd be there's lots of it just felt very traditional and there'd be lots of different stalls here there and everywhere and then i think for the 2007 world cup everywhere sort of got updated and modernized and i'm not necessarily sure that was that was for the better um no, it was a tragedy. And they were taken out of the centre. I've never been there, but out of the centre of the towns, weren't they? And yeah, well, it's thing. So nobody could, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the, the new ground in Antigua is actually one of the better ones, but it's in the middle of nowhere, whereas it used to be at St John's. It would fill up with locals, you know, after lunch, once, they, once they'd done their work. or Whereas now it's, yeah, it's just, like I say, it's in the middle of nowhere, which is a, it is a real shame because there's, I think every cricket fan wants cricket to be strong in the Caribbean there's a different relationship there with cricket than there is anywhere else in the world I think it's they're so sort of passionate and into it and you just worry that that is waning and they're not they're not helping themselves you say by moving these grounds out out of a out of the cities and well, out of the big towns some African Caribbean origin fans sometimes suggest that the Barmy Army is, is a white organization and they make these comparisons between the way that you're allowed to support England at grounds when you know, those Afro-Caribbean string steel bands are forbidden. And I, I know exactly what they mean. I, I find it quite upsetting that the steel bands have been, are not allowed in English grounds, whereas the Barmy Army has been allowed to play. Isn't that right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that is. Um... The implicit criticism is that the Barmy Army, which is mm. all white, is allowed to turn up. And I, we all love that. But the, if you look at the various reasons for the decline of black cricketers in England, one of them might be the, the attitude of these rather stuffy authorities. Hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I say a couple of things. I mean, I have got black and Asian friends in the Barmy Army, but of course, that, yeah, they are a minority. It is, I mean, maybe that's a problem with cricket fans in general as well in this country that is a bit white and middle class and maybe ageing as well. But yeah, I think variety... And having as many different groups in there would be yeah. ideal. Um, I think Lords is incredibly stuffy about it. Yeah, we're we're allowed to. Well, it's, it's always just me as a musician, but I'm allowed to play actually pretty much every ground around the world. But I mean, apart from Lords and Trent Bridge. So, um, what happens at Lords? Why don't they let you play? Well, in fairness to Lords, they're, they're consistent. There's absolutely no musical instruments. There's there's no fancy dress. Um, the only time I have played at Lords was this. Actually, this Cricket World Cup just gone because part of the deal with the World Cup was that all the grounds gave away all their jurisdictions to the ICC. So, and actually, I had the same at Trent Bridge as well. So, unfortunately, the ground didn't have a say in it at all. So, that was the first time I'd, I'd played in both of those grounds. 
So obviously there were two England games at Lords, uh, which we lost against Australia and then the final. So um, it's not, it, was, it was nice to finally do it anyway. There's, there's the Barat army now, which are the Indian fans, but I think a lot of it's English based. And I know, certainly they've been more prominent the last couple of years. Oh, tell us about them. That's really cheerful news. I, I don't know an awful lot about them, but they've uh, we've played cricket against them at Barmy Army, and we've had a couple of... Uh... You've played them. The Barmy Army plays the Barat Army. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they've... I mean, they, they certainly had a big section at a lot of the grounds for the World Cup at the Oval, they did. And they'd have... They had, they had some drums in there, actually. Um, so I, I think, if, if fairness to them, it's... It seems like something that was really growing, and it's probably a bit earlier in their sort of time. But no, that's that's something that's definitely happening. Um, I think the thing is with the Barmy Army, it's I don't like it to dominate too much. I think I'd, I'd hate to go to the cricket and people go, oh, "I wish he'd shut up," you know. Let's just leave it alone. And and I'm always, I've always been a bit wary of that. And then, but on the other hand, I'm getting pressure from other people to come on, we need to make more noise. And I the I think the ideal for me is to, if you get. The funny thing is, actually, for what the public get at home, so much of that is dependent on where the TV or radio people have put their microphones and, and what level the sound guys decided to put us on, really, because uh, I'll have people say, oh, you were so loud today. I said, well, it's nothing. I wasn't playing any louder than I normally do. It just depends what the sound levels are. But um, I, like, I, I like watching cricket abroad, actually, in a big ground where, Barmy Army, we're going to be here. If you want to come and get involved or be near the noise, you know to sit there. Um, if you don't, you go to the other end. There's plenty of space for everyone, and that's one of the nice things actually about watching cricket abroad. is It's a bit like going to a county game, and the grounds are never that particularly full. Except, I guess, that, so sort of Melbourne and some of the Aussie tests are yes, pretty yeah, well. They are. What's, what's the attitude of the Australians to you? The Australians, they love it. Actually, they love the Barmy Army. Um, I, I have to say, it's they're extremely positive. My first tour to Australia was 2006, seven. And uh, it was a lot of hype, obviously, because England had won the previous Ashes and the Aussies were not going to mess around. And I think that first game at the Gabba, there was a bit of controversy because they wouldn't let the English sit together. It was all really small pockets all around the ground to try to stop a lot of noise. And then I I started playing the trumpet after after lunch and uh, I got ejected from the ground. I, was, I remember I was playing the, the Neighbours theme. Um, for, for the Australians, which are, well, in, might have been a bit provocative. <laughs> well, no, it's, you know, it's a playing, this is this is something for the Australians, and uh, so then the police came, and I, I got a, a, I was disturbing the peace. I got a police banning order. I wasn't allowed within five hundred meters of the ground for the next seventy-two hours, um, which was it seemed a bit harsh. Um, as it was, it actually, it sort of got a lot, us a lot of publicity. And the funny thing was, the Barmy Army official pub happened to be 600 metres from the ground. Uh, and they said, well, you know, don't worry, you can watch it in here and there's a, you can have a free tab. And uh, so, uh, so, but it wasn't quite the same. It was a bit disappointing. But, um, and actually then I wasn't... Bloody outrageous, allowed... wasn't it? Yeah, it, was, it seemed a bit... It seemed very petty because... And most of the Aussies really wanted it. They really looked forward to the, the, the hearing of Army Army and the, the banter. So we lost... Uh, I wasn't allowed to play... Uh, at that test, which we actually we lost all the tests. So <laughs> that time, I remember that too I very well. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to play at Adelaide either, but then but by the time we got to Perth, I think the Aussies knew they pretty had it, had it wrapped up and I was allowed back in. Um, <laughs> the funny thing with that was by the end of that tour, I was invited to come and play at a couple of events for Cricket Australia and do it, and talk. And then come the next tour in Australia, 10-11, I, they basically gave me an access to where he's passed for the whole tour, as they, <laughs> as they always have done since. 
because they've realised that actually it doesn't cause trouble. And if there was an issue, we'd be in communication with the ground, you know, and they'd, they'd, they'd come and say, oh, there's, there's a bit of aggro going on in block, whatever, If you, you know, do you know what's going on there? And I, you know, I'd be able to say, well, yeah, it's nothing to do with us or it's this, this or that. Generally, the, the only times you'd ever see any issues in cricket grounds, I have to say, is in Australia, and it's generally uh, drunken Aussies turning on each other. No. But even that's, that's quite a rarity. So, but I mean, I mean, it does have its detractors, doesn't it? In England, and it's had some in the in the uh, commentary box in Test match special, isn't it? I mean, there are there are people who've been characterised. There are people who've characterised the Barmy Army as you know drunken louts. Uh, you know, they've been attacked for behaving like football fans. Um, I know you don't speak for the Barmy Army, Billy, but what's you know. How do you feel about these criticisms and um, do you think there's anything in them? I'm, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there is something in there. I think it's, I, I, what I'd say is that the Barmy Army is a funny thing to define. It's the hardcore cricket fans who travel all around the world and give up all their sort of holiday and spend a lot of money and watching test cricket tend to be thoroughly decent people and proper cricket lovers who like a drink and a sing-song as well. But those sort of people don't go on tour to you know, to, to cause trouble. Having said that, the Barmy Army sells a lot of cricket, a lot of shirts, and there's uh, a lot of people might turn, especially on an Ashes tour, you get a lot of football fans maybe coming for their first ever cricket experience, coming away for a bit of winter sun, and the atmosphere can be a bit different. As I mean, there's times, particularly Melbourne and Sydney. What what I used to call the glory test, it'd be Melbourne, Melbourne and Sydney, Barbados and Cape Town. You'd get a different sort of England fan coming over. And then sometimes my role would would almost feel like crowd control because if I'd hear songs happening that are you know inappropriate, or we 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 try to have a sort of no swearing rule and no. Whereas obviously if, if you go to football, you know the, the language is pretty poor, um, and it's not it's not trying to be superior with us. It's just trying to be inclusive, and also there's a lot of people bring their children away and. Um, so yeah, but there's times where it'd be like, oh no, please don't start singing that song. That's in it. So I'd have to start try and play something over the top of it, and which generally I I've always believed that the, the, the fans should sing, and I'll just I'll be the icing on the cake. I'll get them singing in tune and get them singing together. I don't like to dictate too much to what people should sing. But there's yeah, it, it's it's different. There's, there are times I've been, as I say, I've you you can't deny that sometimes you get a few. Uh, a few jobs, but that's you, like as, not, which is understandable. Yeah. So, what do you do? How do you handle it when it gets when it's getting a bit? Um, well, the Barmy Army is very very good actually at self policing, and you, you you get a couple of it sort of older, bigger guys, you know, go, <laughs> go, go and have a word. And say right, either you know, wind your neck in, or go, you know, or actually in Australia, the relationship we develop with them there is that we. Uh, I mean, there's the policeman Tony who comes and looks after the block in Melbourne. We're at. He's become a great friend of ours over the years, and he gets it now. He's a uh, he, you know, and he actually comes to then to the Sydney Test as a fan and sits with us. And he's we've he's been presented with Barmy Army shirts over the years, and he'll come and have a word, with, you know, with me or one of the guys. Say, look, what's going on there? And I say, he's fine, but yeah, yeah, you know, this one here, you want to watch him, or and it's more about he'll be stopping the Aussies coming down and goading and trying to cause trouble. But um, that sort of sensible policing, yeah, because there are, yeah, especially a day in the sun, yeah, people who aren't used to that. Day in day out, you do get especially maybe a few inexperienced tourists who uh, let themselves down a bit. But we're generally quite good at nipping it in the bud because no, it's there are people out there, some journalists who are waiting to slate the Barmy Army for mm. for bad behaviour, um, and so there's a lot of us who are who do care about the reputation of England fans, and um, 
we'll try and stop that. Having said that, yes, you do get the odd idiot, and let's not let's not deny that and pretend it doesn't happen. But on the whole, this is why a lot of us, a lot of the people I enjoy watching cricket with, will not prioritise an Ashes anymore. I mean, apart from the fact it's the most expensive tour to go on by an absolute mile, but it's one you know you can't just turn up and sit with your friends. You know, you have to. It's a bit like in England, you have to sit in your specific seat. But if they're so strict on what you. Um, can and can't do in the ground a beers or two percent in the ground because it's uh, mid-strength stuff and uh, but it's just a it's, it's just a, there's a different atmosphere there whereas and if you go to some backwater in india or somewhere in sri lanka you're not you're not going to get these idiot fans just turn up for a bit of you know it's proper hardcore cricket fans and, and that, that tends to be where we have the most fun and that's what i will still look forward to doing you know even though i've stepped down from my role as a trumpeter, I, was, I will still go on the odd tour every now and then. And uh, it'll be lots of... I, I look forward to going to those funny, quirky places and, mm. yeah. How, how many have you been... How many test-playing countries have you, in fact, been to? Um, you ticked them all off? No, I've I've never been to, unfortunately, Bangladesh, um, which I'm a bit... Dis- there's only been two tours happened during my time, as it were. The first one, I did think I was going, and then... Paul at Barmy Army sort of told me two weeks ago that he I wasn't because I thought he I thought he'd sorted my flights out for me you know? um, and then last time we went to Bangladesh the, the official advice was not I think the government advice was not to travel and I thought just with wife and kids she said she'd prefer it if I didn't go so but I've been everywhere else I've um, I've not been to Zimbabwe because we never we've never played a yeah, test match there right. in my time but yeah I've been to every other country and I'm, I'm I feel lucky to have gone to Pakistan because a lot of my friends haven't because we've only I say it was two thousand and five. Was the last series there? Yeah, and it's a, it's just a lovely thing to do because you always you always leave the English winter to go to someone else's summer, and it, that's uh, this. I really missed it. Obviously, we've all had a really rubbish uh, year of weather this year, but also it's the first year I've not I've not been abroad for a couple of weeks at oh. least watching cricket. Um, so that's something I definitely miss. But you always took a lot of care about your musical selections. For example, he always played um, Wagner when Neil Wagner of, of uh, excuse me, Neil Wagner of New Zealand was uh, playing, as he is today. Um, I just wondered if you'd ever played any Strauss from Andrew Strauss, or, or did you ever play Laura's theme for Brian Laura? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I'm glad you, glad you noticed the Wagner. I mean, it was always, I, I, I did try and play a different bit of Wagner every day for him. Which which was fine for sort of five days, but then to start to get a bit obscure and uh, so. But there's there's plenty of repertoire there at least. Um, yes, I would. I did, did used to play a bit of Strauss for uh, Andrew Strauss. Tended to be more Johann Strauss because it's a bit more recognisable than Richard Strauss. Um, but um, obviously, well, Dean did L. He, did he recognise this Andrew Strauss? I'm not it? sure. He never commented on it. So. Um, and what about Wagner? Does does uh, Wagner know Neil, about Neil Wagner? Wagner. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not sure. Again, I've, ne- I've ne- I'm not sure. I've even met Neil Wagner, but um, I'd like to think someone's pointed it out to him. I say a, a Dean Elgar, the South African Open, oh, was yeah. another. Oh, was another of gift. That land so, of hope and glory. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, there's 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 plenty of plenty of Elgar <laughs> snippets that I could play. So that used to, those sort of little things. It was we used to sort of try and keep me. Keep me thinking to try and do something a little bit different every day. I think when I first started playing for the Barmy Army, I tried to play a different tune every day, but I'd never played before at the cricket. It pro- that probably got a bit difficult after a while. 
And plus there's days, like probably probably at some point on that 5-0 losing 06-07 Ashes series where you're just tired and you can't think of anything different to do. And the uh, the England fans around me are all calling for me to do waltzing Matilda yet again, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always a fine mix between playing the ones that everyone knows the words to and they've got their Barmy Army songs to and the songs for the players. But then, yeah, something a bit quirky and a bit different. I, I remember being... Once we were actually in, I think we were in Dubai, and uh, Derek Watkins, a great trumpet player, died. Uh, I found out on, on on the internet, and he was a uh, an English trumpet playing legend, but played on all the all the James Bond films right from the first one. So, um, so it was a, a nice excuse for me to to rattle off a few Bond themes uh, in the middle of uh, that. Du- the test match against Pakistan in Dubai, which I think a few people at first were like, what, what's going on here? But it was just some, you know, and then people realised that we had a bit of a random sing song there. Um, but uh, yeah, trying to find, trying to find uh, as, as much inspiration and variety as possible. Um, Cause especially, I mean, when you're in the desert, there's not a lot of, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd play the theme from, um, the theme from Lawrence of Arabia. Because it's about the best we could do for over there. But actually, I remember. Remind us how that goes. And apparently, I was playing it, and um, on TMS CMJ, God Rest His Soul, was humming along, which I, thought, which I thought was a nice moment. He said, Oh, I like this one. Which was nice because CMJ was not always the biggest fan of the Barmy Army, but it was nice to. Nice that he sung along once. Peter O'Toole's a big cricket fan, so it's appropriate in that way too. Peter O'Toole's a big cricket fan, big cricket, uh, played a lot of cricket. As a matter of fact, so was Omar Sharif. So you, you hit the right hit the right note with that one. Oh, so, very so much. Is it. Uh, isn't it true, Richard, that you told me that Peter O'Toole had it in his contract that he, if he was making a film, he had the day off of the Saturday of the Lord's Test? Something yes, like that. that's right. Yes. As did as did Trevor Howard. Um, quite a few, one or two actors, cricket loving actors, have had the same, you know, the 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 Lord's Test clause inserted into their contracts. So uh, he was certainly one of them. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that is fabulous. I like that. <laughs> did you ever, um, did you ever jam with um, jam with any other musicians? You know, on on tour, any other. Any other sides? Did any other sides have musicians sort of following them? And did you ever interact and jam with them? I met, I remember meeting in the Caribbean some of the legends. You've got um, Gravy, the guy who, he'd be there with his tambourine and leading all the singing and sort of doing his dancing. But he was getting on a bit in fairness uh, when I met him. But we, I'd go, yeah, play with him. We'd have a bit that of... That must have been a privilege. Yeah, absolutely. The man's a legend. So we'd, we'd lead a bit of a conga and, uh, yeah. So I've been, I think I first met him at the 2009 World, World Cup over there. Uh, 2007 World Cup, sorry. Um, so, yeah, um, and I remember... There's not loads of places have local bands. In, in Sri Lanka sometimes, actually, they, they'd have a big local sort of mariachi style band again which I'd go and I'd never I'd always try and sort of keep separate then one day go over and, and jam with them rather than trying to sort of take over or you know take the limelight from them we did um in South Africa actually my last tour uh, they have the St George's band um and so I went and I did a day sitting with them and actually it's a fabulous t- talking to the guys who run that that's a really important venture they get these guys local kids who haven't got a lot going for them and sort of get them off the streets and they give them these brass instruments and teach them 
and mm. they all basically learn by ear. And fair play, you know, there's some really good musicians who probably haven't just haven't had the right training, but you can see we've got real ability. Um, so yeah, I, I, I had a lovely day with them. I remember once being at Johannesburg, and they had a band um, sitting sort of square leg on a temporary stand, and they from the first ball they'd pipe up very loud. Um, and I think after two overs, the cricket stopped. I think it was Aline Dar went over to them and went right. That's you cannot do that. That's put, that's, that's annoying us. Which I thought, and uh, and basically from that moment on, they were only allowed to play between overs. And they they, they did they made it and, and and in drinks breaks. But I don't know why in particular that offended the umpires. But um, so again, I and I go I went and played with them a bit and learned the Shosaloza and a few of the South African themes. Alistair Cook, of course, was a phenomenal musician and probably could have been a professional musician did you ever jam with him i've i'm aware of uh cookie's prowess as a musician but no i've never i've never ha- had it seen him with a saxophone in his hand or he he plays it down when i've asked him about it you know he said oh they, they always talk that up you know as a chorister but yeah so he's a bit shy about it um i guess i guess he could probably sing uh still sing well we had a lovely a lovely moment actually once in south africa at the, the 2016 Test match in in Pretoria, I remember where uh, England had wrapped up the series. We actually lost. We lost that last Test. But I remember. I think it was like the fourth day of the Test. England were coming out after tea, and Johnny Bairstow sort of shouted over to me and said, uh, can, "Can you go and have a word with with Bayliss? He wants a word with you." Um, so, sure enough, I went round the back to the England dressing room and got loud up and Trevor Bayliss said um, he said look you know I'm, I'm, I'm new to this running the England team but you guys he said I keep telling the players they've got something special here you know the, the travelling support means really lifts them it means something special to them and he said for an England team to come and win in South Africa he said there's no uh, test series there's no mean feat so he said uh, what I'd like to do is um, after play tomorrow he said I know we're going to lose this game but to celebrate the series victory would you I'd like it if uh you and a few, maybe ten of your friends came up to the dressing room because he said because the England team have all got their own songs as well and they'd like to sing them to you and then you can sing your songs to them and have wonderful. a wonderful. Yeah. Oh, great! And I said, well, I mean that's an absolute honour, Trevor. But um, I, very, I very quickly realised I had to pick ten friends to come into England dressing, which was going to be uh, upset a lot of people. So I, <laughs> I delegated that one to my friend Andy Thompson, who was running the travel side of the Barmy Army at the time. And I just said, you've got to just get, give it to the ten people who've been. Giving, doing the most singing and the loudest supporting. So then, yeah, we went up the next day um, and it was an absolute privilege and sort of Alistair Cook gave a little speech and it, obviously there's, there's drinks everywhere. But actually being in the sanctum of the dressing room because that's quite a rare privilege. And then we'd, we'd have a big... We'd, they'd sing a song, we'd sing a song. And I think Alistair was singing away, but I wouldn't say he was leading. I think Jimmy Anderson was very was the, uh, was the boss when it came to getting the singing going there but um that it was a real special moment that um, i've got um and they were very generous with i've actually got their mark saxby kindly gave me they all got i got a team photo that's signed for each each one member of the touring squad got one of those put to the tour and he actually gave me his which is really really generous of him and that's i haven't got many mementos from my time following cricket but i've, I've certainly got that one it's magical uh experience you're setting out there mm. A sort of lovely thing, which doesn't that often happen, does it, between fans and and no, sportsmen? And I, I, you know, 
I, I've always, I think a lot of these, a lot of these experiences we've had. I mean, I've had a few. I've been privileged to have a few sort of nights out with England players over the years, and I think one of the things they've, you know, is a sort of bond of trust where they know that if no, we're not going to go telling the press if someone's had too many drinks or whatever. But um, so I wouldn't give away any secrets. But I, I mean, actually, a special moment I remember in a bit that time in the dressing room was um, before that test match. There'd been a bit of a beef. I think it's a press building stuff up, you know, A.B. de Villiers um, saying that Jimmy Anderson wasn't up to much or this, for vice versa, the press had been building. It. And it was no, it was a story about nothing, really. But um, I remember being there when de, and de Villiers came into the dressing room just to say to Jimmy, you know, and I, I said, oh, I'll leave you guys to it. And Jimmy said, no, you're fine. You, you know, we're all friends here. And he just said, I just want to say, you know, that was all made up. The press were making something out of nothing. Yeah, of course, I respect you as a cricketer. And, and Jimmy was like, oh, of course, you know, I respect you. There's no. It was just lovely to see them in the. Well, it was a privilege to watch that. Oh, wow. These two great sportsmen. Exactly, and the respect yeah. they actually had, and despite the sort of press trying to make out some trash talking, I just thought. I mean, I've, I have to say, but I've got so much respect for Jimmy Anderson as someone who's been going for that long, and perhaps you know, has you know struggled at times earlier on in his career. He's bowling. He's a to be that good at what he does, that professional, but also. Just a, a a decent guy, and uh, yeah, I, I, he's he's probably I've been uh, so I've been privileged to meet a lot of these people, but he's he's just right up there for me. I guess he's also he's been, he was there for as long as I my first tour in two thousand four. Yeah, yeah when you were playing pool with him, as yeah, you were saying, exactly. So, when you were beating him, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and he's still going now. He's an he's an absolute hero. So yeah, I've that was uh, that was the only thing I think with my last Test match. I said I would loved uh, Jimmy to have been there where, where with my last test which I was playing at in South Africa and he wasn't there then but um, I mean but the fact he's come back since then and, and just and, and done as well as he has I just yeah I, I I look forward to catching up with him again at some point. I hope you will, um, Billy. What just in general? What sort of um, impact did the Barmy Army have on your professional career as a serious position? Did it, did it help or did it um, do anything? Well, did it have any sort of impact at all, one way or the other? I'd say the overall effect of it was pretty flat of, of me, me, you know, doing the Barmy Army stuff. Some people would look down on it, on it a bit, but um, on the whole, people who were proper cricket fans and would watch cricket got it um, and understood. Uh, I remember coming back from one Ashes tour and um, being lucky enough to do a concert a couple of days later with the London Philharmonic and. Just sitting down and minding my own business on sixth trumpet or wherever I was, you know, and then I just heard from the, the timpani behind, just as everyone's warming up, just and it was Simon Carrington, the timpanist there, who's a big cricket fan, and he was just yeah, yeah. it was a little subtle. I looked over at him, he winked at me, gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> and I, oh, so, and actually, I think, to be honest, I think you did a wonderful thing. You brought proper music. I mean, high class professional music to the popular zone. You stopped it being so elitist. And equally, you so you, uh, and the Barmy Army, they were unbelievably lucky to have you, to be honest. I mean, to be honest. Well, thank you. I'd, I'd like to think it was, I think before I got involved with Barmy Army, it was perhaps more of a rabble and more certainly more monotonous and repetitive. So the RY idea was always to try and give it a bit more variety to get them singing a bit more in tune, but um, but still not to to still to try and get people to come up with as many ideas as possible. So 
everyone, we'd always have different songs for different players and it would annoy me when we'd have the same song with different words for different players. I said, no, that has to stop me. But, you know, each player has at least which, which different melodies. Which are the songs you had for which players? There's an awful lot of different songs over the years for, for different people. But, I mean, when I first got involved, actually one of my favourites I used to do was uh, for Matthew Hoggard. So it'd be... Um, which I don't know if you guys got what that was no no I'm no good at music actually. okay it's a, it's a king of the swingers from Jungle Book so it is oh so, of course it yeah. well, the kings yeah. so which I thought was quite nice how do you respond yeah. to it oh hoggy like yeah absolutely I think especially um, back then for the players it was a real thing to get your own to get your own tune you know you feel like you've made it as an England player oh um, yes I see that because sometimes a player would come in you know and if we, we, we'd have it I remember Sydney Test when we lost 5-0 the second time, so 2013-14. And that last test, I think there were three debutants. There was um, Rankin, um, Balance and Borthwick. Um, they're not necessarily the easiest names to come up with songs to. So sometimes there'd be an element of, oh, we'll, we'll try and do something, but uh, if... Uh, they, you know, and some of these guys might not necessarily be around for long. So, but if someone someone's established themselves in the team, it's an embarrassment if they don't have their own song. So we really, we really would uh, try and make the effort to, because it'd be you'd feel awful if you're going through the team singing everyone's names and there's one fellow who hasn't really got his own song. So, what did you get, Michael Vaughan? What did you do to do for him? Michael Vaughan was always a, uh, I mean, this was is a simple one I used to do. Um, so. Sorry to be so ignorant. Why was Kumbaya right for Michael Vaughan? Well, again, I have to say, this was, this is one they were singing before I got involved. So it was just Michael Vaughan, my lord. Michael, it, was not, it wasn't a particular, uh, any yeah. particular reason. So, um, so for another one, though, might be for Flintoff. Oh, to know this one. Yeah. I always failed. I always failed on the musical round of uh, of pub quizzes. Something down in history. Which it's, player uh, is that for? What? Freddy. 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 Yeah. Now, what, what is it? I don't have the faintest idea. Da, 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 da. You've got da, 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 history. Um. <laughs> oh. Well, that's, that's that's a theme from the Flintstones, so for Freddie Flintstone. Of course it's Fred. Oh, oh yeah. God, yes. So, yes. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. We, we really yeah. are dreadful there, yeah. Um, yeah. What, is, what, what did you do for Moeen? Well, Moeen had quite a few, actually. Um, so you'd have this one... Uh, So uh, uh, that was Moeen, as in Jolene. Moeen, 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 Moeen. I'm begging of you, please don't shave your beard. Um, 
And then we'd have... So that was a bit of ABBA for you, mm-hmm. which is mowing me, mowing you. <laughs> oh. We need to know what Joe Root had. Joe Root, um, I would play, um, well, again, he had a few, but uh, I would play the Annie's theme. So, because he's a big Sheffield, Sheffield United fan. Let me get this right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... words for that one because um we when i first met joe root we were out in india we were in calcutta and we just won that so it's 2012 i think we just won that test match i wasn't there for the for the the great victory the test before in mumbai but we just won uh, the test match in calcutta and then that night we ended up meeting up with the players for 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 a drink and i'd never met joe root before and he'd not made his debut but I went over to him and said, look, Joe, just want to say good luck. You know, and he looked like such a kid. He really did. Um, like to the point where you're thinking, is he really old enough to be in this bar? Um, but he was really nice. He said, oh, no, I know who you are. I, I came on a Barmy Army tour when I was young. You know, I love it. And, you know, it's really, really nice. Um, but then we ended up we ended up having quite a late drink. And he, um, I, think, I think he sort of fell asleep, probably had a bit too much to drink. And then one of the lads got, one of the other England players was, wrote something on his face with a pen and a... Uh, marker pen and um yeah so um one night in calcutta we found our new hero got ruined with vodka and a blue marker pen he made his test debut on a dust bowl in nagpur our baby face batsman it's super joe root na, 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 na. and we'd all sing along yeah. so oh it's it wonderful that's oh, great can I just say we've got to wrap up now but it's been absolutely glorious it's actually been a privilege talking to you Um, I think you've done something really special for cricket taught us so much about about the Barmy Army about cricket about life actually and music because I'm ignorant could you be very generous and just play Jerusalem Wonderful. Yeah. One final request. Can you pass on uh, my our thanks to Toby Coles? He he played the trumpet at my son's wedding about a month ago, and uh, he 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 said he'd introduce us. 
Uh, and could you just thank him so much for doing that? Absolutely, I will do that. He's one. Of, he's one of the good guys, Toby. I say it's a. It's another. It's a. It's, it's a bit like cricket people, the trumpet players. That we. It's a. A lot of characters and a lot of good people. So, but yeah, Toby's one of the good guys. Thank you very much. It's and it's goodbye from me, Peter O'Bourne, on a lovely sunny day in Wiltshire. It's uh, goodbye for me, uh, Billy. It's been an absolute privilege um, talking to you, and thank you once again for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure.